This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. Amen. Praise the Lord. I'd like for you, if you will, to turn your Bibles to two openings of Scripture, Luke chapter 4 and Mark chapter 6. Luke chapter 4 and Mark chapter 6. I'm going to... Um, you may be familiar with these openings and you may think you know that which way I'm going to go, but I'm going to approach some things from a little different angle this evening. These uh, two accounts, Luke 4 and Mark 6, tell us the story of Jesus in his own hometown of Nazareth. Uh, they, uh, they give us different bits of information about Jesus' first time there. Jesus has just entered his earthly ministry, uh, entered into his earthly ministry. He's just been baptized by John in the Jordan River. He's been tempted of the devil, has spent 40 days in the wilderness fasting. Then the temptation of the enemy came. And uh, after that, the Bible says in Luke chapter 14, verse 14, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit unto Galilee, and there went out a fame of him through all the region round about. So I want you to notice that Jesus didn't start doing miracles until after the Holy Ghost came upon him when he was baptized by John in the Jordan River. In other words, if Jesus healed and did miracles because he was the Son of God, why didn't he do them at age 25? Why did he have to wait till he was age 30 and the Holy Ghost came upon him? And be baptized uh, when he was baptized by John into the Jordan River. And furthermore, if Jesus is here on the earth operating as the Son of God, who can anoint God? I've yet to find anybody that argues with this position to be able to answer that question. Who can anoint God? Jesus, the Bible says in Philippians chapter 2, laid aside his heavenly power and glory and he came to the earth as a man. So until he was empowered by the Holy Ghost... When he came upon him, the Holy Ghost came upon him. When John baptized him in the Jordan River, until that point in time, Jesus had no more power to do a miracle than you or I would have in and of ourselves. But it says that because he's empowered, he returns in the power of the Spirit into Galilee. And there went out a fame of him throughout all the region round about. Verse 15, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, that means as a child, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. I always like to point out that Jesus' custom was to go to church. I know that doesn't sit well with a lot of Christians nowadays, but that's what Jesus did. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. This is Isaiah 61, verse 1, beginning in verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. First thing Jesus says when he goes into a new town, his hometown, the first time he's been there since he's been baptized and anointed by the Holy Ghost, baptized in water, anointed in the Holy Ghost, the first thing he preaches is that he's anointed. That's the first thing out of his mouth that we have record of in the Bible. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me. Well, what is he anointed to do, Jesus? To preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of the sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and he gave it again to the minister and sat down and the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. Now here's why that, that uh, occurred. The reason why everybody is staring intently at Jesus, is, well, two reasons, I guess. One is he's going to say in a few verses down that they've heard of miracles that he's done in Capernaum. See, Nazareth is not the first city that he went to, not the first city that he ministered in after he was anointed of the Holy Ghost. He mentions himself that they're thinking, he says, I know what you're thinking. The same works that we've heard that you did in Capernaum do here too. Well, if that means, if that's what they're thinking, then he's had to have done some works and miracles and healings in, in Capernaum, right? 
So that's one of the things, one of the reasons that they're staring intently at him is because they've heard that he's done miracles in Capernaum already. We'll prove that when we get down a few verses and read it to you. The second reason is because they've been uh, taught in the synagogues, the Jewish rabbis would have taught the people very well to know this portion of Scripture. This Scripture, or these Scriptures, these verses that he reads from Isaiah 61 in our Bible, correspond to the Messiah. And so for Jesus to take Messianic Scriptures, Messiah Scriptures, everybody is looking at him now, here's a miracle worker that they've heard about. They haven't seen anything out of it, but they've heard that he's a miracle worker. And now they hear Jesus talking in Scripture, reading Scriptures about the Messiah. Everybody is wondering, what's coming next? And the next thing Jesus says is the crux of the whole thing. Jesus said, after he had everybody's attention, he began to say unto them, verse 21, this day, everybody say this day. That means the day that Jesus was there. This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. In other words, as King James speak for Jesus saying, these verses of scripture are talking about me. Jesus has just identified himself in this one phrase, this one verse. He has just identified himself as the anointed one, the Messiah. The anointed one means the Christ. He's just identified himself as the one that Isaiah was prophesying about that would have the spirit of the Lord upon him to anoint him for the purpose of anointing him to preach the gospel to the poor, to heal the broken heart. He's anointed to preach. He's anointed to heal. He's anointed to preach deliverance to the captives. That means to to set everybody free that's been bound by anything and everything in their life, to set at liberty them that are bruised, those that are wounded, those that have been wounded by the works of the devil in their own lives and the effects thereof. He's been anointed to set them free. He's been anointed to to preach uh, uh, deliverance to the captives and and, uh, the opening of blind eyes. Notice he says that he's anointed to do these things. And then the last one is to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Now, everybody under the the old covenant, every Jew anywhere in that day would know that the acceptable year of the Lord is the year of Jubilee. One of the things that it says about the Messiah is that he would come with such power, such anointing, such Uh, equipment, supernatural equipping of the Holy Ghost to restore all things to their original position. Now, in the Jewish uh, custom, the Jewish history, God set aside one day out of every 50, or I'm sorry, one year out of every 50. Every 50th year was the year of Jubilee. And the year of Jubilee meant all debts were canceled out. It means everything reverted back to its original possession. If you hit the year of Jubilee and you were over your head in debt, All of a sudden, you were a free man from any and all of that debt. Everybody's debt was canceled out. In other words, the year of Jubilee is a fresh start. Jesus is saying, and everybody understood this, that the Messiah would come and give a fresh start to mankind. And when Jesus says, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears, he's saying, I'm here to restore everything that's broken. I'm here to put back in order everything that's been Uh, everything that's in disorder. I'm here to restore the broken hearts. I'm here to restore broken bodies. I'm here to put back in right place with God everything that's been broken by sin. It's the crux of the whole thing. Now let me ask you a question. What did he preach in Capernaum? Is there any reason to think Jesus preached a new message when he got to Nazareth? Keep that in your mind. We'll answer the question as we go. But keep that in your thoughts. Because Jesus, when he says, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears, he's literally saying, I'm the Messiah. 
Well, now think about if you were one of the people that were in Nazareth at the time and you heard about the miracles and the healings and the great works that he's done in Capernaum. Your, one of your earlier thoughts would be, well, that fits. The Messiah was going to come and going to do miracles. He's going to do signs and wonders like no man has ever done before. The things that we've heard that Jesus did in Capernaum just a short time before, maybe days, maybe weeks before. That would certainly fit what he's saying. But then their doubts creep in. They all bear him witness, verse 22, and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, folks. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? In other words, their first thing, the first thing out of their mouths, no matter what they're thinking, no matter what they've heard about Jesus, no matter how uh, confirmed the, the miracles and so forth that they've heard about in Capernaum have been, it's just a short distance away. Some people may have even traveled back and forth to Capernaum in the time that Jesus was there. There may be eyewitness testimony in Nazareth saying, yeah, well, he really did heal the sick over there. The first thing out of their mouth is he can't be the Messiah. We know his daddy. And everybody in, in, in Jewish culture understood that the Messiah was to be born of a virgin. And they were fooled by knowing that Jesus had grown up with an earthly father. And so rather than saying, wait a minute, Jesus, hold on. How does this work? They just said, that can't be right. Their knee-jerk reaction was unbelief. You need to be careful what comes out of your mouth, especially the first thing that comes out of your mouth. I had a friend in Bible school that used to say that out of the abundance of the heart, well, the scripture says out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. He used to change that around and say out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth slips. There's a lot of truth to that. Then Jesus says to them, I know uh, you will surely say unto me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. Whatsoever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in thy country. Now notice that God understands how people think. It may be a surprise to us, but it's not a surprise to God. Jesus is saying, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, since you did miracles in Capernaum, prove who you are by doing them here. Now folks, how close is that to the modern day church attitude toward Jesus and miracles? Pretty close. Most people say, well, if gifts of healing still work in the church and if, if he, Jesus still heals today like he did in, when he was here in his earthly ministry, then why doesn't somebody just go into the hospital and clean it out? Just heal everybody on every floor. And see, they think the same thing that the people in Nazareth thought when, they were here, when Jesus was here on the earth. Now, another thing the church world seems to think very uh, greatly is that if we were just here when Jesus was here on the earth, then we could get results from him. Yet these people get no results from him. Because their attitude is the same thing as what much of, maybe most of, the church world thinks today. If Jesus still heals, why didn't he heal everybody now? For the same reason that he didn't heal everybody then. They wouldn't believe. Jesus said, I know what you're thinking. You're going to say unto me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. The same things we've heard that you've done in Capernaum, do here. Well, they've heard about them in Capernaum then, haven't they? And he said, Verily I say unto you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. Then he says some things about Elijah and the days of Elijah and Elisha and so forth. Notice the end result of what he said to them in verse 28. They were not blessed. Verse 28 says, And all they in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath and rose up and thrust him out of the city and led him to the brow of the hill whereupon their city was built, that they might cast him down headlong. They wanted to kill the guy. 
It's not enough to disagree with the truth. You've got to kill the people speaking it. That's the devil's way, folks. see a lot of that in our culture today, don't we? There's no debate on ideas in the political arena, in the social arena, or anything else. The whole idea is if you disagree with the, the, the current opinion today, you have to be silenced. You have to be shut up. But he, verse 30, but he passing through the midst of them went his way and came down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and taught them on the Sabbath days. It's interesting that he goes back to where he got results. Now, did you turn to Mark chapter 6 too? Look within Mark chapter 6. Let's read these stories and show the parallel, show that they're the same story. We'll start in verse 1 to get the context. And he went out from thence and came into his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue. Well, we know Luke told us what he taught. And many hearing him were astonished, saying, From whence hath this man these things? And what wisdom is this which is given unto him, that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands? Well, what mighty works are they talking about? The things they heard about in Capernaum. You're going to see it's not mighty works that are done there in their city. Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, and Joseph, and of Judah, and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. You see, it's the same story. They said, wait a minute, we know his family. He can't be who he claims he is. Now, Mark doesn't tell us what he preached. Luke did. Mark doesn't tell us that Jesus preached. First and foremost, I'm anointed of the Holy Ghost to do great things, to heal the sick, to set people free, to open blind eyes, and so forth. Luke tells us that. Mark doesn't give us that detail. But Mark gives us some details that Luke doesn't. Verse 4. But Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, but in his own country and among his own kin and in his own house. Now notice verse 5. And he could there do no mighty work. Everybody say the word could. Notice it does not say he would there do no mighty work. It doesn't say he won't or wouldn't. It says that he could not. In other words, that means he was unable. Now I know that cuts crossways with a lot of people's idea about Jesus and the way he ministered, but that's what the Bible says. Now, I've done extensive study on this word could. You know what it means? It means could. There's no way you can misinterpret this. There's no way you can twist it around. There's no way you can give some kind of other translation that comes up with something else. The word means one and only one thing, and that means could. And he could there do no mighty work. This means Jesus was unable to do miracles in Nazareth. Now think about that. He was able to do them in Capernaum. So much so that after he leaves town, he goes back to Capernaum. But he couldn't do any miracles or mighty works in Nazareth. Now why couldn't Jesus? What was it? What could possibly get in the way of the power of the Son of God, the Holy Ghost anointed Son of God that's anointed to heal the sick and open blind eyes and set captives free and deliver people and and so forth restore everything back to original order what in the world could possibly stop jesus and he could there verse 5 again and he could there do no mighty work save or accept that he laid his hands upon a few sick folks and healed them we'll get back to that in a minute verse 6 and he marveled because of their unbelief he marveled because of their unbelief 
And he went round about the villages teaching. Why? Because he's trying to get people to believe. Now, what was the difference in the people in Capernaum and the people in Nazareth? The people in Nazareth refused to believe that he was anointed by the Holy Ghost. They refused to believe that he was an anointed one. What did the people in Capernaum believe that enabled them to get miracles and healings and so forth? They believed Jesus was the anointed one. Jesus could only get results if people would believe what the Bible said about who he was. Join Mike Webb and Foothill Family Church every Sunday night at 6 p.m. for our weekly healing school. Healing school is for those who are in need of being healed from sickness in their body, as well as those who want to strengthen their faith in the area of healing. Now, whatever somebody, you or me or somebody else might think of why Jesus healed the sick, Matthew 8, 17 tells us why he healed everybody that was sick. Jesus healed all that were sick that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. You're looking in the future for something to happen. You need to turn around and look behind you and what the Bible says has already happened. Because behind you is the cross. And on the cross, Jesus shed his blood for your sins, for your peace, literally your financial well-being, and your sickness. Foothill Family Church is in Orange County at the corner of Bake Parkway and Lake Forest Drive, just minutes off the 5 Freeway. To learn more about how you and your family can connect with Foothill Family Church, simply log on to mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. And Nazareth is, a, is the place where Jesus had the most trouble, and the reason that he had the most trouble in Nazareth, the reason he was hindered in Nazareth, more than any other place that we have record of is because they thought they knew him from his past. Folks, the anointing of the Holy Ghost changes everything. The Bible speaks of people that, that found Jesus and, and um, entered into what Jesus had for them to do and it was like they were turned into other men. The Bible tells us in the Old Testament about certain men that the Holy Ghost would come upon. They couldn't be inside anybody in the Old Testament but he could come upon them for a specific work for a specific period of time. And it says in many cases that they, it was like they were turned into other men. They began to prophesy and it was like they were turned into another man. The Holy Ghost changes everything. And he's supposed to. Now back to verse 5. And he could there do no mighty work. He, in Nazareth he could there do no mighty work. He was unable to do any mighty work because they wouldn't believe that he was anointed to preach the gospel to the poor. They wouldn't believe that he was anointed to heal the brokenhearted. They wouldn't believe that he was anointed to preach deliverance to the captives. They wouldn't believe that he was anointed to preach, uh, to set the, the, at liberty them that are bruised. They wouldn't believe that he was anointed to open blind eyes. And they wouldn't believe that he was anointed to preach the acceptable year of the Lord or the year of Jubilee. They wouldn't believe that. Now, it wasn't that they couldn't believe it. They refused to believe it. They were able to believe it just like the people in Capernaum did. I'm sure the people in Capernaum, when they first heard Jesus, had their doubts too. But they went along with it. They didn't voice it. They didn't raise opposition. They didn't say, well, no, we refuse to believe like the people in Nazareth did. And whatever doubts they may have had to start with were overcome. Maybe little by little, maybe all at once. I'm not sure. Nobody could know for sure. But their doubts, if they had any, were overcome and Jesus got miracles. Now, notice the last part of verse 5. That's really what I want to talk to you about. And he could there in Nazareth do no mighty work, save or except he laid his hands upon a few sickly folks and healed them. Now, the word sick, if you look that up, the word sick is derived from another Greek word that means sickly. 
Vine's Expository Dictionary of New Testament Words says of this word sickly that it means folks with minor ailments. It also means infirmed. In other words, people that didn't have too much wrong with them. One translation translates it just that way. The only thing Jesus was able to do, he wasn't able to open any blind eyes. He didn't have any lame people healed. He didn't cleanse any lepers. He didn't have any mighty works or signs or miracles in Nazareth. The only thing that he was able to do is get a few folks with minor ailments healed. Now, what I want to talk to you about is those few folks that got something. We're, we're quick, and I'm, I'm big on teaching the importance of faith and that unbelief hinders God then, and it'll, it'll hinder God now, and so forth. But what I want to talk to you about is faith in the midst of unbelief. What about these people that got something in a city that refused to believe? They bucked the tide and accepted healing for whatever minor ailments they have. Your faith will work if you outlast the devil. I remember Terry Myers told me that T.L. Osborne told him that when he first went to the mission field. T.L. told Terry, he said, Terry, one thing you always need to remember, stay until the devil leaves. Stay until the devil leaves. Now, it's interesting with a man in a ministry like T.L. Osborne that had healings and miracles and blind eyes opened and, and some of the, I mean, we could stand here all night and tell stories about the stuff that he had and that uh, happened in his ministry and the stuff that he saw. And he never laid hands on anybody. T.L. Osborne never laid hands on anybody. He pioneered the idea of praying for people in mass. He'd give an altar call and give people to, get people to give their hearts to Jesus just by lifting their hands and leading them in the prayer and through an interpreter. And uh, then he'd say, all right, now who needs healing? He'd have everybody that needed healing raise their hands or lift something, you know, give some kind of indication. And he'd pray one prayer over the whole multitude. And many times it was a million or more people gathered together. And all of a sudden people started getting healed right and left. Now, it's interesting that a man that would have those kind of healings, and we always associate healings and miracles with instantaneous stuff. It's interesting that that would be the advice that he gave a young missionary. Always stay till the devil leaves. Because he found, found out a secret. He found out a truth. And that is, even a miracle doesn't always happen instantly. There's always going to be a resistance. Turn with me over to Matthew chapter 15. But notice in Matthew chapter 15, let's start reading in verse uh, 21. Then Jesus went thence and departed into the coast of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she cries after us. So you can see there's a lot of things that have happened between uh, the first part of verse 23 and the last part of verse 23. It tells us, it makes it sound like it's just a quick, easy operation here. One hears about Jesus walking down the road with his disciples, cries out, Lord, have mercy on me. And then Jesus doesn't answer her, and that's it. Next thing, the disciples say, Lord, you need to get rid of her. Well, why are they beseeching Jesus to get rid of her? Because they've tried to get rid of her, and they can't. You need to realize that one of the main responsibilities of Jesus' disciples was crowd control. They thought they were the gatekeepers for anything and everything Jesus. They were the ones that forbid the little children on one occasion to come to Jesus, and Jesus found out about it and said, stop that. Let them come. That's part of what the disciples did. They thought they controlled who could have access to Jesus. And this woman is so persistent. This woman is so determined 
to have a, an audience with Jesus that the disciples have tried to get rid of her and they can't. So what do they do? They go to their boss and say, Jesus, could you get rid of her? In other words, Jesus, could you do our jobs for us? We've tried to get rid of her. We can't. Tell her to go away. Tell her something to get rid of her. Do something. I don't know what they thought he was supposed to do. But Jesus answers and says, I am not sent but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, I need to stop here and explain something about Jesus' ministry. First half, Jesus spent three years of of earthly ministry, in earthly ministry. The first half, roughly the first half, the first 18 months, a little bit more than 18, but not much more. But the first half of Jesus' three-year ministry was spent on the Jews. After that, the Jews wanted to kill him. That's the point where the Bible says Jesus walked no more in Jewry, J-E-W-R-I-R-Y. He walked no more in Jewry. In other words, that means he didn't minister. He didn't go into Jewish towns any longer. Well, then where did he go for the next 18 months? He went to Gentile towns. He went to Decapolis. He went to Bethsaida. He went to Chorazin. He went to the coast of Tyre and Sidon. He went into Canaan. He went outside of Jewish territory. Why? Because they rejected him. Jesus said himself, because you rejected me, because you rejected the one that God sent, I now go to the Gentiles. So the last half of Jesus' ministry, with the exception of the very end, the very last couple of weeks, you see Jesus ministering primarily to the Gentiles, but he hasn't started that part of his ministry yet. He hasn't started that phase of his ministry. That's why when she cries out to Jesus again, Jesus said, I'm not sent but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. In other words, he's saying the Jews haven't completely rejected me yet. You're early. Jesus knows what's going to happen. Jesus knows that the Jews are going to take counsel against him to kill him. And from that point on, he's going to turn away from them because they reject him. That's the ultimate rejection is them planning and plotting his death. So Jesus is is in a place that's outside of of Jewish territory, if you will, if that's a good way to say it. And she comes to him to get something that she could easily get sometime later. But he hasn't entered that phase of his ministry. So he said, I'm not sent but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. That's not the part of the ministry of my ministry that I've entered into yet. So what does she do? Does she make an appointment to come back in a month? What does she do? She couldn't care less about the Jews rejecting Jesus. She couldn't care less about someday Jesus will be sent to the Gentiles. She couldn't care less about God's timetable. She comes and worships him. My folks, if you want to know something about God, you want to know something that reaches the heart of God, this is it. She doesn't argue with Jesus. She doesn't try to, well, she will make her case in a minute, but she doesn't try to make the case that she shouldn't have to wait. She doesn't try to do anything about what Jesus is called to or discuss it in any way whatsoever. She simply comes and worships him, saying, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. Let me ask you a question, folks. If Jesus, at the direction of his heavenly Father, to reveal to us the will of the Father, that's the whole reason Jesus is here on the earth. If Jesus, at the will of the Father, and to reveal his will is willing to upend his timetable for one person who worships him and asks for his help, how hard should it be for us to receive healing today? God's word is the answer for every problem we'll face in this life. What a privilege it is to believe God 
and to walk by faith. Come visit us at Foothill Family Church. This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. I hope everybody has somebody that can encourage them in faith and help them to stay strong and stay steady. Worship God with them and glorify God before the answer comes. Join us Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Visit us online at mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word.